All right. You guys ready this morning? Okay. I, I know it's hot, but are you guys ready this morning? Good. Good, good, good. Well, I hate these, seri- these, these open-ended series with no real focus. If you guys have become the grace at all, you've noticed I love focused series. I love uh, four, six, seven weeks hitting the same, uh, the same topic, really trying to, to kind of to, to peel back layers every Sunday. But for some weird reason, I really felt like this, uh, this series here, the summer mixtape, we're supposed to just kind of, you know, just have a month or five weeks to where we allow uh, the different pastors uh, here on staff to just kind of get up there and share what God was putting on their hearts. And little did we know the things that were going to happen uh, here in the nation uh, this month. And so it's been really timely to kind of see what God's been speaking to us in all these different areas. Um, this morning, I really have something to share that I didn't want to, honestly. I, I had lots of topics I, I would enjoy talking about more, um, kind of outside of my wheelhouse, if you would. But this morning, I have a question for you guys, if you're ready for it. Are you, you guys ready to be honest? Do you hear voices in your head? Okay, who's honest? Who hears voices in their head? Anybody? Okay, yeah, you guys are like, I don't know where he's going with this one. Okay, if you don't hear voices in your head, you're probably not thinking, correct? When I asked you the question, some, some uh, cartoon bubble just popped up in your head and said, Yes or no, right? I mean, if nothing happened in your head, you're probably not paying attention at all, which is absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. We all hear voices in our head. Every single day, we have these thoughts, these pictures, these images, these feelings, these things that, that influence us every single day. We, we, are, we are constantly being bombarded with directions and with uh, information and, you know, with all these different things, again, it's like, it's almost like a puppet with a thousand strings on it. Can you picture that? Little puppet, you know, like you see those things with the strings on them. Picture a thousand strings, just as many strings as you could possibly imagine, just pulling the puppet every which way you can imagine. That is every single one of us in this room every day. And what happens in the scriptures is that we have to learn which voices are whose. Who is it who's popping in our heads? Is everything that we think, is every feeling and emotion that pops up, is it truly us or is it something or someone else? Would you like to acknowledge that you have some other voices in your head besides your own? Who here actually thinks they have some other voices in their head besides, you know, beside their own? Oh gosh. I won't ask you how many. We'll just, we'll just leave it there. If you guys have your Bibles, let's, let's go ahead and end, uh, open it up to John 10, verse 27. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27. That's what we're going to start on. Ah, here's what it says. So Jesus, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And he goes on, and he even says, those who are mine know my voice. Here's a scary question. Do you know the voice of God? Good. One person is going to heaven. 
Because he says what? He says, he says, those who are mine, those sheep which belong to this shepherd, know this shepherd's voice. And so the scary question that comes out of that is, do you know the voice of God? You know, the, the one thing that, that we hit on all the time here uh, at Grace is, is true Christianity. What does it really look like to be a Christian? And, and simply put, we've, we hammer this home every single Sunday. Following Jesus. It's not a prayer. It's not a moment. It is a moment by moment waking up, denying yourself daily, and doing what? Following Him. Depending on the Gospel, and carrying this big, beautiful, heavy cross, right? This is what being a Christian is. It is following the leader. It is submitting to one king, to one head, having one purpose, having one voice that, that directs the rest of your life. But here comes the problem. If we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, if our entire life is, 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 is hinging on this ability to know the shepherd's voice, what's our answer to that question? Do you know your shepherd's voice? If God were to speak to you right now, would you know it was Him? Would you think it was a random thought? Would you think, you know, it, it, was, it was the pizza you had last night? I mean, what would you think if God were to speak to you today? Here's another question. When is the last time that you are 100% sure that God spoke to you? When is the last time that you know beyond all shadows of doubt that it was God who spoke to you in some way, shape, or form? Can you even recall a time that you knew He spoke to you? Now, we know the Scriptures are very clear about, about how God speaks to us. We know that, that we have the voice of God constantly speaking to us. We know the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, has been given to us, who is, who is this counselor, this advocate, this one who walks with us every single moment of the day. And He is constantly directing, reminding, encouraging, affirming, protecting, constantly by our side speaking to us. And so if we're not hearing Him speak, it's not because He's not speaking. It's not even because we aren't listening. The odds are is that we are listening to a lot of things. The problem is that, again, we don't know which voice is His. When I was a youth pastor at the exchange, uh, with this great trick we did, I mean, it was awesome, it was beautiful. What we did was we created this, this maze uh, with chairs, okay? So just, uh, just kind of imagine you have this snake of chairs, okay? And what I had was I had um, all my youth lining both sides of these chairs. And what we did was we took... A random stranger, uh, someone in the youth group, you know, who they didn't hang out with, all that kind of stuff. And we had them try to guide this person through the maze. But the trick was, I told every one of my youth kids, youth kids, to make as much noise as they could. So picture that. Screaming, hollering, I mean, you know, youth kids, okay? It, it, extremely loud, and then some stranger going, okay, left. Right, stop, turn right, one step, uh, side step, wait, uh, turn around. And this, I mean, five minutes go by, and maybe five minutes, I mean, equal to two steps forward. I mean, no progress was made at all. So then we'd change it up. Then we'd find that person's, their best friend, the person they spend the most time with. And we did the same thing over again. And no time, right through the maze. The kids were just as loud. What's the difference? 
they knew the person's voice. It didn't matter how, how loud, um, you know, it didn't matter how much chaos was going on around them. They knew this person's voice. Now, the reason that they knew this person's voice is simple. They had spent time with this person. They had spent time with this person without distractions. And then, when we put them into this chaotic situation with pressure and noise and chaos, uncertainty, because they learned the voice in this quiet place, this alone place, now, when they're under pressure, they knew the voice and were able to follow it. Sound like anyone to you? Right. Crap starts at the fan. God, where are you? What do you, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. And you hear what? Nothing. God's abandoned me. He don't love me. He never speaks to me, but he always speaks to PJ. I mean, she always hears God, but me, never. What's the difference between the two of you? It's that time investment. Now, if you guys have your scriptures, let's go ahead and go to uh, ooh, Matthew 3, Matthew 3, verse 16. There are five voices in your head at any time. The odds are there's much more than that, okay? The first voice, of course, is yourself. Yes, you have the ability to speak to yourself. Awesome. Now, there are four, four other voices. There are four other roles, if you would, that are, that are constantly surrounding you in your life. I want to talk about those. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and read Matthew 3, verse 16, and then uh, we'll go on here for a bit. Here's what, here's what it says. So, um, as soon as Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said this, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Let's go ahead and pause right there. This passage really changed my life about two, three years ago. One very simple note about this passage, which, which I'm not sure why it's so easy to not know this, but when I learned, or when it hit me, if you would, that this took place before Jesus had done anything. This, this passage here, okay, his baptism, and of course, this loud thundering voice from heaven, this is taking place before Jesus has done a single miracle. At this point, Jesus is no different from anyone else around him. He hasn't done anything to gain uh, fame or honor or uh, acknowledgement. There is no one following Jesus at this time. Uh, the one thing to understand here is that the first one to really see Jesus for who he was was John the Baptist, which is why this, this entire moment is so powerful. He's, his entire life, he's been proclaiming and expecting the arrival of the Messiah, and then he sees him. And he sees this guy, and then in, in his mind, everything is about to happen. This, you know, if surely the moment that I see this, 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 this person coming who's going to fix and change everything, that means it's happening right now. And then he gets shocked by something. Then Jesus says, no, I want you to baptize me. And he, he's confused by this. Surely, I've spent my entire life expecting you to come. Surely the moment I see you, it means everything's about to happen. 
You're going to make everything right. Uh, but no, what he sees is this man who is, it's not yet time. He hasn't even begun this process yet. And so what happens is we see Jesus, he gets baptized, and he comes out of the water, and we have this moment that is so easy for us to kind of read over. And so he comes out of the water again. He's not really in anyone yet. He comes out of the water. For his entire life, he's been hiding these secrets in his heart. He knows who God has told him he is. He knows what he's here to do. But yet no one else around him has any idea. And he comes out of this water. And then this, this audible voice from heaven speaks. And what happens in this moment is the father's love and affirmation for a son is settled in the son's heart. In front of everyone who could hear, the father audibly speaks, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's so powerful about this is his father is proclaiming his love and his favor over his son before his son has done a thing for the father. Now, if that doesn't hit you yet, you might not have the makeup that I have, or I am a very much a, a works-oriented person. I do not understand um, affection or love outside of earning it. So the, the way that I always used to kind of you know, understand God was the more that I did for God, the more obedient I was, the more sinless I was, the, the more hours I spent in prayer or this or that, then surely God's going to love me. It, it's this scale that kind of goes up and up. Okay, I stopped sitting there, and so, oh, his, his love's here. Oh, I, I've spent this much time in prayer, and his love's here for me. Oh, I understand scriptures now, so his love's here for me. And it's the scale that continues to rise. And so the more that I earn it, the more I climb this mountain, if you would, the more I'm getting closer and closer to God. But yet we see the opposite. We see that before his son had done anything, the love and affirmation was sealed in his heart. And one of the first things... Um, I want to talk about this morning is the first role of God that we see playing in our lives is the affirmer. We see the Father God, I'll just read it, the Father God is a good Father. While there are times of correction, His, un, his unrelenting message is love, which affirms our identity, uniqueness, and purpose. I'm not sure like what your relationship uh, with your father was, but whenever... Um, I was a youth pastor. The one thing I saw over and over and over again in these kids was just this need to be affirmed. For someone to tell them, you're doing a good job. You are exactly, I am happy with exactly who you are in this moment. I love you. And these kids were hungry for it. But the one thing I saw was when these guys were not able to get the affirmation, when they weren't able to get that ceiling kind of a setting uh, comfort in the place where they were, they would begin to run to any place they could find any kind of affirmation, any kind of acceptance. Um, to use more of a picture, if you would, uh, my son Liam, he's often referred to as my wild child. You guys ever seen my son Liam? He's almost three. You guys see him? Okay, like when I'm in the foyer and we're talking, there's that kid who runs up with the big old eyes and just tackles me. Do you guys know? Okay, no one talks to me in the foyer. That's okay. That's fine. He's there every single Sunday. Okay. He gets the rap as being like my wild child. 
But what you don't know about the him is that while his personality is very big, he is the most sensitive child I have. So yesterday, uh, we're like playing this game or something, and he like, what do you do? He accidentally hit me with a toy. Oh, it was a matchbox car. All my sons can throw. Established. And he chunks this thing from the other side of the room. I don't know why he, he thought it was a good idea. He, he throws it from the other side of the room, and he hits me on that spot on your foot. You know what I'm talking about? That spot on your, on your foot, just like around the top of your foot, the bridge of your foot, where anything hurts. Yeah? Okay. Hits me on the bridge of my foot, and I just like yell. Wham! I am restraining myself in love. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we had a guest over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and so what happens is, you know, here's my uh, super outgoing, big personality child, and he just freezes. And, it, and he just stares at me for about one minute straight. And, and it is just so, like, gut-wrenching. It's hard for me to talk about he just stares at me with these huge eyes, just blank, staring at me. What he's doing is he's trying to measure how I feel about him in that moment. He will not move. He will stay away from me, and he will just sit there and just stare at me. Now, he's not trying to be mean. He's not being a little butt or anything like that. He's trying to assess how I feel about him when he's just made a mistake. He should be in trouble, yes, because if he hit his little sister, he would have got a big spanking, okay? Okay, but in, but in the moment when he is messed up, when he hasn't done what I wanted him to do, how does his father feel about him? In that moment, I cannot get up. I can't move towards him. If I move towards him, he'll just shut down, and he does this, and it's the craziest thing. I can pick him up, hug him, love him, kiss him, and he will not respond. For about an hour, he'll just be like this. But in that one minute when he's staring at me, if he can sense that his place in my heart has not moved, that my affection for him has not shifted based on his actions, if he can see it, and again, so what happens if you're in the room, it's really crazy. We just stare at each other. <laughs> my son Jude's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> But I'm just staring at him. He's staring at me. And, and finally, if he has to see it in my eyes. And then he'll just run full speed to me and hug me. We have this inside of us. We have this need to understand that we are loved, that we are secure, that we have a place with our Father God, regardless of our actions. The first voice that you will hear when you begin to make time to listen to the voice of God, the first thing that you will hear is very simple. You are loved. Holy Spirit, we just ask this morning that you would just begin. If there's any of us in our hearts where we have gone through experiences in our past, maybe with our fathers or with our parents or with those in authority that have just kind of wounded us and just made us hard or numb to receiving that affirmation of love. Holy Spirit, we ask that you begin to, to work on those walls that they would come down this morning. We ask the love of God found in Jesus and, and just the overwhelming approval and love of God, regardless of anything we've done, I ask that it would hit every one of us this morning in some way, shape, or form.
whenever we begin to listen to God, we will encounter His love for us. And it will change you forever. What happens with, with, with this love for God is that when you have it, it seals you, it sets you. It's almost like you can just shake everything off and start fresh. If I have that, if I know that we are good, then I can move on with the rest. When you begin to listen to God, the second voice that you'll hear, and again, I'm going to break down the voice of God, but it's all the same voice from God, obviously, but you will hear the accuser. If you guys have your Bibles, head right back to Matthew. Uh, we're going to go here to verse 1 in chapter 4. It, it's a continuation. It says here, it says, So then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, there are so many lessons that we can pull out of this passage, but let's just stop with that. The first thing we see is what? A question. Specifically, an accusation. If you really are that person, prove it. Now, what has the Father God just said to His Son? You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did He ask His Son to prove or earn anything? No. He asks nothing of His Son. When you have... If your image of the Father God is a Father who is demanding things, who is waiting on you to accomplish things, who is, who is disappointed with you until you reach a certain place, you have a broken image of the Father God. The Father God establishes His love and approval of exactly who you are, where you are in that moment. And the moment that he affirms your identity, meaning that you are a son, that you are loved, you will hear another voice. And it will challenge exactly what the Father is trying to seat in your heart. And so, even in Jesus, we see the accuser, Satan, he shows up and he says, if you really are the Son of God, if you're, if you're that person, prove it to me. Um, what's so powerful about this, when we understand that Satan, he's a strategic enemy whose primary weapon is deceit. His whispers will come at the most vulnerable times, attacking our identity, questioning the Father's love, and shackling us with guilt, shame, and fear. Now, as you guys also know, I love to go back to the Garden of Eden all the time, especially with Jesus, because we see the second Adam in Jesus is, is, is the one who's going to make right everything we, we saw made wrong with the first Adam. If you notice the story that we just saw with Jesus, he gets affirmed by Father God, and he gets accused and attacked, and he gets this, this attack of lying and manipulation. It sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Yeah? Okay, so in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, we see that we see God comes, and he says, he says what? He says, this is good. Right? Okay. He says, this is good. Okay. And so he makes everything. And of course, the last thing he makes is what? Man. And, his, and, and then he takes man and he makes woman. And then he says, you know what? 
This is good. Everything is as I want it to be. And then the next thing we see is we see Satan show up and he accuses that exact same thing. Are you sure that everything is the way that God said it was? Are you sure that everything is, is just right? Are you sure he's not hiding things from you? He's not lying to you? because you, you know what I think. I think that he's only telling you half-truth. Because if he were really this way, then he would give you that tree over there and you get to be like him. Because you know what? What you are isn't good enough. The Father just said it's good. But you know what? This isn't good enough. You need that. Are you starting to see the way this works? Now, we have this other voice for us as well. Jesus. And we see that He's called the Advocate. Meaning, He's the one who's always, who's always defending us. He's the one who's always on our side. So in essence, if you can imagine... Uh, if you have Satan who's always against us, he's, he's always to, trying to uh, attack your identity, uh, how well you do, all that kind of stuff. You have this person, Jesus, who's always just on your side. In essence, almost picture him sitting with the Father, always going, well, you know what? This, 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 always on your side. Now, in Scriptures we see this. We see that King Jesus is a perfect picture of God. In Jesus we find an advocate always on our side, embodying God's love for us and closing the door on our past and failure through his blood. Now, what's powerful about this is that we see uh, here in chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, we see that the response of Jesus is the Scriptures. And so, every time Satan accuses him, he responds with the Scripture. But there's something that changes here that's powerful for us. What's powerful for us is that while we have the Scriptures, we have something different. When Satan accuses us of our identity, of our standing in God's love, we have a different response. Yes, we can use Scripture, but we respond with Jesus. Because everything that we have is not earned. Everything we have is found in Christ. He is the one who, in whom our identity is seated. It's His blood which washes away our past. It's His blood which makes us worthy. It's His grace which enables us to obey. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so now what happens is every time that those whispers come, our response is not, well, yeah, I've been stumbling, but I'm doing better. The response is, yeah, but in Jesus, grace, forgiveness, hope. Yes, I'm a failure. Yes, I'm messed up. Yes, I'm a project who needs lots of work. But Jesus... The Apostle Paul has this language about being hidden in Christ. This idea that everything that we are, we take it. Picture yourself with, with luggage, if you would. It's like everything that we are, we, just, we take all of our bags, everything, and we go stand inside the house of Jesus. Everything that we are, everything we do is now inside of Christ. There's no way to be attacked, to be stopped, to be hurt, because now we are inside the covering of Christ. And now, everything that we will be, the language of Paul, now that we are rooted and built up, so now that, now that we brought everything inside this house, now that I've brought my marriage and my kids and my income and my dreams and my insecurities, my failures, my past, my problems, I've brought everything inside this relationship with Jesus, and now it's time to start growing. And now, everything that I get from this moment on is rooted in Christ. It's not about me. It's not anything that I've done or haven't done. Now everything is in Jesus, so what happens is every time that I get attacked, 
Jesus. You're right, but Jesus. There's no need to defend. There's no need to argue because we know where it all comes from. Now, in the Scriptures, we see that there's a very prominent voice which speaks to us. It's, it's the source that most of the words from God come from, and that's the Holy Spirit. We see that His title is Advocate and Counselor. What's different between the advocate role and the counselor role is that the counselor is the one who never leaves our side. The counselor is the one who walks us through the entire process. And so what happens here in the Scriptures, we see the Holy Spirit is our ever-present counselor. He's walking with us through each moment. He never stops reminding us of the Father's love. He, he never stops reminding us of our identity and victory in Christ and His unwillingness to leave our side. I don't like doing messages like this, honestly. Um, this is not my ballpark. It's not where I feel comfortable. But there's someone here this morning who needs to understand something that you need to learn the voice of God. Because there are things that will stick with you. Um, how about this? Are there things that were said to you from high school that you still remember today? Anyone? Yes. Are they positive? Absolutely not, right? Are there things from your childhood that you still remember to this day? Most of them are what? Negative. What happens, we see here in the Scripture, we see this whole thing happens with Jesus, right? Where he gets affirmed by God, he's attacked by Satan, but then he, he, you know, he passes the test, if you would. He starts his ministry, the signs and wonders, all these amazing things happen. But if you fast forward all the way down to chapter 16, we get the passage with Peter. Now, Peter ha- has just been uh, celebrated because he's the one who, who goes ask the hard question, right? Jesus goes, who do they say that I am? You know, and he gives the answer. And he says, who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the son of God, right? He sees it. He gets celebrated. Amazing. Five verses later, he's the one who does what? He's the one who hears Jesus talking about he's going to have to die. He's going to have to suffer. He's going to have to go through all this terrible thing. And he's the one saying, no, Jesus, you're not going to do that. And, of course, the response of Jesus was what? Get behind me, Satan. Because he is sharing his identity with his, with his disciples. And the response of Peter was to challenge it. No, you don't have to do those things to be who you are. There's a shortcut for you. Because if you're really the Son of God, why don't you just turn that stone to bread? Does it sound familiar? If you're really the Son of God, you don't have to die and suffer, Jesus. You don't have to do that. The exact same words of Satan are now popping up in the people closest to Jesus. Here's the thing for you. Understand this. Right when we are the most vulnerable, he will begin speaking to us. Satan will begin attacking our identity, attacking the love of God for us, and attacking our purpose through everything around us. Which, by the way, Facebook, are you guys on Facebook? I already know you are. (laughs) I already know you're on Facebook. How many times do you open something up and it just zings you? Anybody? No? Okay. You, you guys open up and, and like, you guys walk away from Facebook thinking good about the world? Oh, we're gonna, oh man, things are just going great. I can't wait to bring a baby into this place. 
No, never. No one's ever said that about Facebook in their entire lives, okay? You open it up and go, man, people are terrible. We're going to have a big bubble and stick my kid in it and roll him around school. Because people are hateful and mean and bitter, judgmental, and this world is full of darkness and evil, and these little whispers just begin to just filter into your life. Through people who, who don't even mean to in your relationships in your life, will accidentally allow words to slip out, which to them are just random words. But Satan knew these exact words will hit that weakest, sorest, most tender spot in your heart and will stick with you. So what happens here with this is that we have to understand what his voice is like, the things that he would say to us, the things he wouldn't say to us. Here's your first clue for you. Here's the first clue to figure out if that voice is from God or if it is not from God. Here's the first thing. If that voice, if that whisper, if that thought or picture or, or feeling is telling you that you are not good enough in any way, shape, or form, if you're a husband and you feel like you're just not a very good provider, you should be doing better. If you're a mother and with your children, I'm just not good enough for them. If you've always heard from people that you just, you aren't smart enough, you're not, you're not attractive enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're not this or that or the other, the moment that you have an accusation that challenges your worth, that is not from the Father. It's not from the Son. It's not from the Holy Spirit. Understand this. You will be corrected by God. The Holy Spirit, one of His roles is to bring conviction in regard to what? Sin. But understand this, conviction is not, how do you put this? Condemnation is a very good word, but I'm not sure if all of us understand that word. He doesn't bring shame. He doesn't bring weight attached to it. The Word says that godly sorrow brings repentance, meaning when it's really God, when it's really the Holy Spirit speaking to you in something, it does it in such a way that makes you want to turn. If you notice, when you, when you feel that shame or that weight of sin, it makes you just want to just give up. Have you guys ever acknowledged that? When you fail, when you mess up, you know, I, I shared my story uh, with my kids. Do you guys, I probably shouldn't share it because I don't think all you guys were here. Uh, it's summer. Good thing is I didn't have anyone here that Sunday. I, who was here to hear my cell phone story with my kids? I thank the Lord it was summer. Half the church is gone. It's okay. Um, if you heard that story, basically, I, I, I lost my, uh, in anger, I lost control, did something very stupid with my cell phone, broke a window. That's all you need to know. And the moment that you feel this shame, this weight upon you, you are a terrible father. You have scarred your child for life. That is not the voice of God. But the moment that I felt this thing in my heart that said, oh, I don't want that. I, oh, I cannot believe that. The moment I felt this thing in my heart that made me run to my kids, that was the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? The one makes me want to kind of draw back and beat myself up and feel terrible about what happened and just, just replay it in my head. The other one 
the voice of the Holy Spirit is all about moving forward. When Satan speaks to you, when you hear this voice, when you hear yourself having thoughts, feelings, or pictures that you need more in your life, when you feel a void in your life, and the answer to that is more money, the answer to that is more anything but Jesus that is not the voice of God. Hear me on that one. I'm serious about that one. Okay? We live in a materialistic society. And we are surrounded by Joes who are telling us, hey, you need this. And man, you need this car. And you need this house. And you need these clothes. And you need these things. The moment you feel anything that's telling you there's something missing in your life, and the answer is not Jesus. That is not the voice of God. Now again, you have to understand the reason for this. Understand this. The primary reason that Satan is, is trying to whisper and to speak to you is he's trying to divert you from obeying Jesus. To be a Christian is what? To follow Jesus. His entire purpose is one thing, to divert you from that. Period. When you hear a voice or a feeling or a thought or a picture or a dream or something that just terrifies you or moves you or pulls on you that is telling you to live for today, when you feel a pressure that your life right now isn't enough, I need more in this life to be happy. That is not the voice of God. What are we living for, people? No one came to heaven series. Great. We are living for what? Eternity. Eternity. I have no idea why anyone would ever want to be a Christian and not be a full, hot-blooded Christian. I mean, I mean fully committed every moment, doing the best they can to follow. I don't know why anyone would want to be a Christian because Christianity has nothing for you if you're not going to go all in. When you have a God and a Savior who tells you that I have everything for you in Christ, but guess what? You will be persecuted. You will suffer. You will die. But I got something great for you on the other side. Why in the world would you ever want to have anything to do with that if you weren't going to do it? I would do yoga. I'd meditate. Come on. I mean, wake up. I would do yoga because it'd make me feel better. I, you know, I'm not sure if I could do it. I would meditate because it, it helps you with the mind, helps you chill out and relax. I would go to some, you know, self-help seminars, teach me to be the best self I could possibly be. Go to a financial peace course, <laughs> learn how to get some more money, and I'd be done. Oh, wait, that sounds like a lot of churches, doesn't it? <laughs> Good morning. How in the world are you supposed to follow Jesus if you can't tell his voice? So, when there is a voice or a feeling or a picture or a dream that in your life that is constantly bringing fear, bringing doubt, bringing insecurity, these are not the voice of God. 
It is not that God will never point out things that need attention or change, but the approach and the voice of God is always one of affirmation. Yes, there is work to do. Yes, there's choice to be made, but you are loved and you are affirmed right where you are. Would you guys stay with me? We're going to do this way. Let's keep